This week on Slashers, we're talking Candyman, everyone's favorite hook-handed horror hero who almost had an eye patch. Make sure to stay tuned until the end of the episode for a special track by our friends Blitzkid. you to say his name five times slashes pod slashes pod slashes pod slashes pod slashes pod is that five i can keep count i don't know it sounds a little redundant isn't it it should be three but fucking times also this is slashers a podcast about movies and more for those who love horror my name is jake and with me as always is my esteemed colleague co-host and cohort brian brian say hello to the mutant goons from beyond What's up, douchebags? And to my right, Brian's left, the rookie of the year, we're going to call him. Like Jim, it. the Jim Turn, Jimothy, Jim Bob. How are you doing? I don't even know doing? if we would even include Jim Turn. I mean, really. He said that he likes the title. He and Chad were both like, oh, we like the titles, even though we're co-hosts. Producer Chad. Sorry to interrupt there. How's it going, Jim? Good. What's up, fuck boys? Beep, beep, <laughs> beep, beep. That's it. So had either of you sluts ever seen Candyman before this week? Nope. Nope. So I, I guess the, the only person who had, because I'm, you know, such a horror aficionado and all, I have uh, plenty of credentials to host my own podcast. I'll yeah, have you know. I guess you can say you're a horror buff also because, you know, you are pretty fit over there. I am. I do sit-ups and planks every so often. Wow. Sometimes when my kid, like, she wants me to be in the same room while she's falling asleep or whatever, and so I'll, like, do a plank, and I'm, like, desperately willing in the cosmos for her to fucking fall asleep so I can leave the room. So my core, let me tell you, is sturdy, because she is stubborn as fuck, and when she doesn't want to fall asleep, let me tell you, she stays awake. She is caffeine incarnate. It's awesome. Yeah, I mean... Who needs caffeine when you have a little terrorist running around, right? Oh, yeah. She is bananas, but it's awesome. It's, I wouldn't trade it for anything. <laughs> Did I say terrorist? Uh, she's adorable. She's an adorable terrorist. I'll tell you that right now. Jim, how's your adorable terrorist? Good. When he's, you know, deciding to sleep. A little murder. Well, when I they're sleeping, you. they're not terrorists, so... Yeah, exactly. they're cherubs. It's a beautiful <laughs> little cherub who you do anything to protect, but when they're screaming in your face, you're like, I'm not that attached. I can make another one. <laughs> right? In fact, making the other one is the fun part. It's totally true. Remember that, kids. So anyway, going back, Clive Barker. Are you guys fans of Clive Barker's other films? Um, Hellraiser? Hellraiser? Yeah. Hello. Why haven't we done that? Honestly, I'm a huge fan of it. That was actually one of the first horror movies I was able to sucker my wife into watching. She watched it from the very beginning and loved it very I'm much. I'm very surprised that that was one of the first ones that you got her to watch because that is not just taking a dip into shallow waters of horror. That's kind of jumping in the deep end. Well, it kind of goes with Jim's thing because you know Jim's not horror movie phobic. He just hates jump scares and she's kind of of the same persuasion. So it's like it's not a jump scare movie. It's like a horrific movie and the way the pacing and everything she didn't get like grossly terrified. By. Yeah, I can see that. It's definitely a freight train coming right at you that you are fully aware of. And there's Nightbreed, Midnight Meat Train. I, mean, I think there's like nine different... Midnight Meat Train is actually a pretty decent one as well, which is, it's not that well known. The ending is a little, falls off the rails, but I agree. There's Lord of Illusions, Book of Blood, Raw Head Rex. I would actually really like to do Raw Head Rex. Yeah, if any of those stand out for you, please do let us know at slasherspot at gmail.com. Jim, had you seen any other of Mr. Mm, Barker's works? No, I still haven't seen Hellraiser, so... Oh, Oof. 
Yeah. I think that we've settled it. We're going to be doing that. I feel like maybe that could be like a commentary. Yeah, that there's enough going on at all times. And it's such a visual movie. I mean, you don't really have to hear any of the dialogue. It's like the Jaws effect. You could put it on mute and still know exactly what's happening. Oh, absolutely. I feel like some of the dialogue from Candyman seems like it would coincide with Hellraiser. A lot, yeah. Right? Exquisite. Like, I feel like they say exquisite multiple times. Yeah. And from, what is it? From gullet to groin. And you're just like, all right, British. <laughs> <pip-a-dee-pop-a-dee."> <laughs> but yeah, he. I'd like to see Candyman square off against Pinhead. Let me ask you guys this. Do you like Candyman's power set? Because that's probably what I like most about the character. Like, Freddy makes no fucking sense. He's so sometimes overpowered and underpowered and just whatever, right? But Candyman very specifically seems to have a tether, even in the sequels, to his perception and people's belief in him. And that's where his power is set. And he doesn't go beyond. It's not like one scene he's using a hook and then the next scene he's using like the metaphysical thread of non-existence. Right. Yeah, I like it a lot, actually, because... It's something that I feel like anybody can pick up a claw like that weapon and use it. You can almost imagine yourself being in Candyman's shoes and using that to gut somebody. Whereas something like Freddy Krueger, you're like, okay, so I have a claw glove. I'm not talking shit on Freddy Krueger because obviously there's a great films. But oh, I am. That glove makes no sense except yeah. to be spooky. Like it doesn't make sense at all. Like you would never use that as a weapon. Maybe as a sculpting tool. Yeah, I've, I like how simple the weapon is too, yeah. right? They don't need to glorify it at all. Yeah, and it makes me think of Dustin Hoffman and Robin Williams. So I'm happy about that. Hook? You ever seen Hook? <laughs> oh, Rufio, why don't you go suck on a dead dog's nose? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I fucking love that movie. Run home, Jack. Yeah. Run home. No, no, no. Turn it around. <laughs> so one of the greatest misgivings in all of history, go on Rotten Tomatoes and look up Hook. You will want to go back and punch a 1990s movie reviewer in the nose. Well, that just makes me want to burn down Rotten Tomatoes in general. Yeah. The only thing I don't like about Hook only thing it's a near perfect film but the sega cd video game is too fucking hard it is unfair (laughs) it is a gauntlet it is a war of attrition it just hurt my feelings with how hard it would be i I was also a child i always remember the fun soundtrack or i don't know if it's a soundtrack the score to the movie dun 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 yeah, it's yeah. really good. Where they're getting ready. I vividly remember in my 1L year, I was taking my contracts final and inexplicably, the call to arms were like the little Lost Boys like walking through and, and they do like the blinds to get their armor on and all that shit. That song was in my head and I was like, oh my God, this is this is the equivalent of like having a stroke. Like my brain is throwing stuff overboard and I'm losing my memories like it's never ending story two so I can remember <laughs> contracts for statements. Jesus. I mean, did anybody else have a crush on uh, Rufio? Yeah, I'd suck his. <laughs> I'm sorry. Wait, what? Uh, I was talking about Tink. Oh, Julia, Julia Roberts, Roberts oh, the short yeah. ass hair. Oh yeah, I'd slap nuts with her. They're <laughs> gonna say short ass skirt, but you know. Oh that yeah, too. she's a hooch. That too. Yeah, what about her like wedding gown? Uh, I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> she's toning that shit down. She looks like a Barbie from hell. I could see that. Jim, were you a fan of Hook? I love that movie. Okay, maybe we could find a way. He uses a sword, so we could use the retro slashers using swords <laughs> to get it on the show. Are we going to well. have a, a versus mode with Candyman and Hook? <laughs> Honestly, I ain't mad at that at all. That could be a lot of fun. I mean, it's at least a couple memes worth. My mind is already racing. (laughs) 
Where Candyman's like, be my victim. And Dustin Hoffman's got a fucking blunderbuss <laughs> to his head. And he's like, Smee, stop me, Smee. I love it. Shall we get into trivia for this week? Yep. Let's do it. For those of you who don't know, this film is a pretty fair adaptation of The Forbidden by Clive Barker, which was actually released in 1985. Is that what we listened to or what you sent over in so the bbc in 2013 did a radio play and that's technically not the book it is an adaptation of the book much like the movie is so there are some it liberties seems like taken. it's very similar almost yeah they're very i mean he doesn't deviate too much really the setting is the thing that changes most and so like in the radio play which i highly highly recommend you can find it online multiple places whether it's youtube or archive.org i think but bbc did a radio play version of it it's about two hours long and it modernizes everything. I personally like the radio play better than either the movie or the book, which I have both consumed. So I would highly recommend it if you're into those kinds of things because it modernizes. Because like I said, the original story came out in 1985 in Fantasy Tales magazine. And so like cell phones weren't a thing and stuff. So it just makes it feel a little bit more at home. And I, it's it's great. It's absolutely oh. wonderful. It's very well acted. How long is the book? Well, like 102 pages. So okay, it's that's really not, not it's not terrible. No. I was going to say, I mean, what was cool about the radio version is it's, I was listening to it while I was at work. Yeah. And everything is just so visual as far as in your mind on yeah. how things are perceived. And it's always a lot better than compared to what people, especially if you haven't seen the film, how you then see another director portray it. Yeah, and they do a really good soundscape as far as like sound effects and stuff, so it makes it very interesting. Right, I was going to say, it's, I think it's closer to like an hour. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because I listened to it on the way here, and oh, it, cool. it ended way before I got here, so... Oh, right on. Yeah, so What'd it's definitely... It was good. Yeah. I, I was a little lost at first. Yeah, I could see that. That party scene gets a little bit ambling. Yeah, but I was also listening on my phone speaker in the car because I didn't have Bluetooth hooked up. Oh, and ew. so it was like, what are you Amish? Fuck, <laughs> who does that? Jeez, <laughs> it's not my car. Okay, but uh, but anyways, so yeah, so the basically, beginning... Jim just admitted to stealing some motherfucker's <laughs> car to get here, like a G. Wife got jacked. Oh shit! But so it's it's good though. Like Brian was saying, the the sound, the all the audio everything is really good on it yeah i wholly agree that the dinner scene i think is kind of meant to be disorienting and awkward because when it gets to like there's like the cacophony where they're all talking and squabbling and making fun of her oh candy man huh but then when it gets to that real place of like mom and dad are fighting right now it's really uncomfortable i think that's almost meant to be like the bottom dropping off and oh shit like there is no party anymore it's just two people squabbling right. in their shitty apartment i like the the english gangbanger talk yeah, you're dude. Like, it's oh really good. man, you guys are talking shit. I don't even know what you're saying, but apparently you're saying granddad and stuff. That's cool. <laughs> I don't know what you're saying, but I like that you're saying it. <laughs> it's like Attack the Block. Have you seen that movie? No. John Boyega. He's great in it. So he's the guy who plays Finn in the new Star Wars movies. Basically, he's just like hoodlum, and he and his little friends find an alien, and they take its corpse. Like, oh, this is cool. Let's check it out. And a bunch of other aliens come to claim that alien back. And it's it's chaos. It's really cool practical effects. What's I highly it called? Do it. Attack the Block. Huh. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. We had a movie that kind of came out here. Like It was called The Watch that had Richard Ayoub in it and Ben Stiller and a couple other people. It, very much the same thing. But Attack the Block was way better. Anyway, I'll get back to this movie because I'm detouring again with... The Forbidden. Clive Barker said, quote, in The Forbidden, I think we push to the limits of the encoded material. I'm very attracted to images which tease us with possibilities of interpretation, but make us work for them. 
there's a lot in this movie. There's a lot in the book. There's a lot in even the radio play that lets your mind kind of extrapolate and pick up and kind of go from there. I don't think this movie is that great, but it is unquestionable why it's so iconic because the amount of thought I gave it the first time I saw it and the second time I saw it and all the way up to now seeing it so that I can do this episode, it ignites all of these interesting like Oh, what about this? Do you think that was deliberate? Like, what is this trying to say? What's the social commentary? Why is it candy, man? But the guy who died didn't have candy. All those things. Is that kind of what you think as well? I had so much stuff going through my head at the end of this movie. And like you said, it's not great, but I think it is a good movie. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. And I do want to go back and watch it and see what else I pick up on because there is there is a lot there. Oh, yeah. I think this movie is ripe for the remake or soft reboot or spiritual success or whatever Jordan Peele is doing. Reason being to kind of make it more succinct in its presentation, I think would help a lot. And also just to kind of do it justice and just better. This is like you said, it's good. It's fine. But it could really be great with some minor tweaking. Yeah, I agree. I feel like this is along the same lines with like Event Horizon. Horizon, yeah, right? exactly. When it comes to a film where it's it has the the great groundwork, it just needs to be done better. Yeah, this is like a good rough draft, yep. I think. So there are two sequels. There was Candyman Farewell to Flesh in 1995 and then Day of the Dead in 1999. If you'd like us to review these two, please let us know at slasherspot at gmail.com. Also, I'll remind you, we have the Slasher Submissions form where you can give us recommendations for movies that you want to do. If you complete the Slasher Submission form, the email that you put in the form, I will give you early access to the next week's episode because I'm such a fucking mensch, okay? Anyway, did you know that there were talks at one point for a Candyman versus Leprechaun film. Oh, no. I told you this over a year ago when we did the Leprechaun episode. That would get butchered. Yeah, Tony Todd said no. Uh, (laughs) I think Warwick Davis was like, fuck yeah, you're going to pay me what? But honestly, their power set would be really fun to see. Like Candyman versus Freddy or something like that, not as fun because Freddy's too overpowered. But Leprechaun's like kind of OP, but then he always gets beaten. So I'm like, it's a fair fight there, I feel. It's funny how their personalities would just completely clash with each other. (laughs) One guy is just so fucking deeply serious and the other is just deadpan humor. Well, that's one of the things people talk about, too. Tony Todd stands so still and he's six foot five. Like, it's the polar opposite of the fucking tap dancing Warwick Davis. Like, hey, did, did, did. <laughs> Be my victim. Oh, shillelagh, shillelagh. <laughs> what do you think, Jim? Would you watch that movie? Yeah. Fuck yeah, I'd watch that movie. Tony Todd's been in everything else, so why not? Seriously, dude, this guy's <laughs> career is longer than my dude. So it's not not that long. It's been like two things. So Todd said about it, it was right around the time of Freddy versus Jason and it came to my desk and he said that he was reluctant to do it because, quote, I remember watching Abbott and Costello versus Frankenstein continuously as a kid and being amazed that my horror legends were making a comedy. So I guess there are some ways to make something that would work, but I wasn't interested in doing that with Candyman. He has a great reverence for Candyman. It's one of the interesting things. You know that episode at South Park where they're like farting in wine glasses and being so smug? People are like so up their own ass about the work that they did on this film. Just a hair shy of smug. And I love it. Like Barker talking about it and Bernard Rose talking about it. And even the, uh, Virginia. The guy that, especially the guy that does the music, the glass. Um, what's his name? He wasn't really even like a fan of the film. And he's like, <laughs> I really surprised at how well it did. And honestly, I collect a residual every single year. So, hey, keep paying me. (laughs) 
super smug about it. Yeah, it's awesome. So there are a few songs we could talk about. Did you know that Susie and the Banshees did a Candyman song? I did not. It's not about this. It's actually came out in 86. It was a single, but it's about child abuse, which is kind of interesting. And so the novella came out in 85. So maybe it's some roundabout way. There was some reference. Blitz Kid, our boys Blitz Kid, who are the hidden track for this episode. Hidden track for the episode. It's not so hidden anymore. Not really at all. But they did a Candyman song as well. They're on tour now. They did a reunion. So please support them. Cheers, guys. And one thing I wanted to talk about, there is a short film, Michael versus Candyman. Oh, no. 2016. Why? Just don't fucking watch it. Why? It's like trying to capitalize on the superpower beatdown kind of thing. It's just, this is the thing. I'm not trying to tell you that their work is bad. I'm just trying to tell you that if you are like, like the film, it's just not, just don't. I feel like there are some short films that just absolutely kill it. And then others where you're just like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I am happy this is this short. <laughs> it just feels like it looks weird and it just doesn't it's not well acted and it's just it, it doesn't do anything particularly well. There's some like awkward fight choreography and I'm like Candyman don't do fight scenes. Right. He's just mythological. Like so is Michael Myers. I feel like them fighting would be like Superman fighting Brainiac where they're like looking at each other and they're like <laughs> playing the scenarios out in their brain like I know that what the outcome would be. Speaking of Michael Myers, how about that sticker that I saw, Violent Gentleman? Oh, Michael yeah. Myers? I thought that was kind of neat. Have you seen that before or no? Yes, I have. But oh. I mean, oh, oh, oh. they also sent me. I was pretty excited about they it. They send me their bullshit every day. Oh, where really? it's like, oh, hey, we got a bunch of new stuff. And I'm like, you guys are located in Anaheim and you're way too up the Anaheim Ducks asshole. So, no. <laughs> I will buy your stuff when it's on clearance or when it's spe- very, very specifically for my minor league hockey team. Honestly, now that Corey Perry's out of Anaheim, I'm not that much of a hater of the Ducks. I'm still a hater, very much so, but. Corey Perry can just S a D. I will 100% agree with that. Yeah, still fuck the Ducks though. <laughs> yeah, dude. Honestly, my two most hated teams are the Ducks and then the Knights. The Knights just annoy me as a concept. Like, you already had Kings in the same division and you were like, we're going to be Knights. And then they were better than the Kings. I'm like, that, you're fucking up the hierarchy. <laughs> the Knights can't even keep a head coach. So, yeah. One whole season, you say? What dog? Anyway, shall we get into some statistics for this week before we alienate what little audience we have left? (laughs) Budget, eight to nine million dollars. Yields a reward of $25.7 million. But this movie, I was telling Brian, did its business in the home video market. That's where they made the majority of their money. Everybody's about that blockbuster life. Hell yeah. Be kind, rewind. <laughs> Basically, you look in a mirror and you say, be kind, rewind five times. And then one of the blockbuster employees shows up behind you and they have I some thought tapes. Jack Black would just show up behind you. And- <laughs> yeah, that movie was almost good, wasn't it? Ah, man. I love the idea of sweeted trailers and stuff. Like, I like that. But then right. that movie was just like, well, this yeah, is just, it had its moments. It did, but like, it's not worth watching a full movie of. Opening weekend, October 16th, 1992. Its competition was Under Siege. Then the next weekend was Dr. Giggles and Reservoir Dogs, where the title actress in this, her brother, played Mr. Blonde. Hmm. You gonna buck old day, little doggy? You gonna bite? <laughs> That yeah, I was. Uh, we were whopping what five years old. Woo. I remember seeing those movies in theaters at the time. Oh, right on! <laughs> <No>. oh. <laughs> Definitely not. 
yeah, I didn't see Reservoir Dogs until I was like yeah, I, in I high was school, probably yeah. in middle school. Yeah. yeah. I think I watched it with Brian. Really? Yeah. Because I think you brought it over uh, it was after it was sense. after we graduated <laughs> high school though. That makes sense. Was it your reaction when you saw the movie? We were like, man, this movie's amazing. I have to watch it. I have to show it to everybody. Because that's like everybody's reaction to Reservoir Dogs. Because it's not well known enough, so everybody gets to think like they have found the hidden gem of Tarantino. Yeah, I feel like also <laughs> there was a moment in time where all you would see everywhere, at least for me, would be the silhouettes oh, yeah. of everybody. And I would like in stickers or whatever. And then people would be like, oh, that's cool. What's that? And I'm like, let me tell you about it. <laughs> <laughs> in this garage rolled up in the back, there are six different Reservoir Dogs posters I used to have, one of which covered my whole wall as a kid. Yeah. That's pretty neat. It's pretty dope. Maybe that's why I wear a suit every day now. <laughs> Runtime of the film, 101 minutes. Perfect. I could cut a little bit on yeah. it. Yeah. I, I liked it. I didn't feel like any of it was too blah. But I that's feel just like me. cutting a little bit before Tony Todd gets He doesn't come in until 44 minutes into the movie. So maybe, maybe come in 34 minutes into the movie. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. They showed a lot of the, like cityscape. So maybe yeah. it's just a matter of them kind of showing the setting i guess and being like really emphasizing on like the culture within chicago exactly bernard rose actually talked about that in i think it's director's commentary that i listened to or something where he was basically saying that that technology was revolutionary at the time the overhead gyroscopic technology so it was a very smooth and so he's like you can't have that not use it and i was like oh well it's fair but you need to put a little like disclaimer at the bottom like we're up our own ass because blank <laughs> i feel like this is at a time though where more like the intros to movies with stuff with the credits and stuff was a bigger thing. And it's not really a thing anymore. I feel like the people who made this movie thought they were making Silence of the Lambs. Like that's kind of like <laughs> how seriously they take it, which is fine. It's just like you're not quite there. But Tony Todd had actually talked about there were an additional 10 minutes to the movie. Specifically, there was a part where he talks about like the surrender to me that he said that they cut due to the interracial romance because they thought that the whole like the King Kong effect is something that I've heard it compared to where basically you have the black man who is portrayed. People take King Kong. I'm not saying this personally. I'm saying this is the analysis. Right, is right, that right. King Kong, he's representing the African character. The He's abducting the white woman. Exactly. And- and he's primitive and he's primordial. But then the white woman is saved by other white men. And that's something that, that mm. black men are lusting it after It almost seems like it would be racist to, to think that a black man couldn't have a white woman as being like somebody they can seduce. If It depends on how it's presented. Because there is a stereotype that white black men are attracted to white women, but there's also if you presented it in a way of like, oh well, why you know, w- why couldn't they exactly like get out? I don't feel like it's racist. I don't feel like it's ploying on it in the same way where he's dating a white woman, right? It's okay, not I like see that. fetishistic where you're t- treating him as like a tribesman or something, which is it's all very weird. I don't know that I'm allowed to talk about the racial stuff <laughs> given that I'm a white guy, but just know. I'm all about black people and everybody but white people. I fucking hate white people. You bastards included. How Let's keep dare going. You? Directed by Bernard Rose, some fucking cracker from London. Should have been a black guy, I feel. That would have made the movie a little bit better. Where are we going with crit. this? He's the guy who directed it. I'm getting it. I'm going through the movie. This is what I do every week. Every week I do this. Barker said of Bernard Rose, I've always loved variation. It's one of the few things that makes life worth living. I trusted Bernard on the basis of of Paper House, which is a movie he did before. And that trust was completely justified since he's made a very intelligent movie. There was no way I was going to lay down the law as to how he should make his movie. And we worked together with nary a crossword. 
not a crossword puzzle, but like he's saying, like, we got along swimmingly. Not actually swimming, but like they got along well, but not like where you get water. Nobody. That was three good dad jokes, one after another. You guys are tired. <laughs> Step up, motherfuckers. So they actually stared an agent at CAA who told Barker, like, hey, uh, just so you know, I have repped this other director. He loves all of your work. And he's actually mentioned me that there are three shorts that you've written that he really wants to adapt. So that's basically how the whole thing came to be. Barker said he took the thematic material in the story and expanded it and turned it into something that was very much his own. I watched over the thing and worked with him on story conference with him and did all those things. But at the end of the day, it's Bernard's movie. And I think he did a tremendous piece of work. He goes on to say, I still prefer the short story to the movie, (laughs) though. I am still a great fan of Candyman. Film is a collaborative art. In that case, it was a story created by Bernard Rose and myself based upon the short story. In other words, a marriage of the minds. That's cool, though. It's it's kind of nice to get a little pat on the back after the fact. Yeah, this is the exact opposite of your shining effect, right? Where they're like, oh, no, this is great. Because like, let's just let, look at Candyman, shall we? He looks nothing like the way he's described in the book. In the book, he has like milk white skin and crazy cheekbones and purple blue and patchwork clothing. So he's like Willy Wonka. Very much. He's very gaunt and creepy looking versus Tony Todd is like very powerful and you know, he's ebony versus this like pale ass cracker boy. Right. How tall is he again? Six foot five in real life. Jesus. Yeah. Big dude. Especially a big dude to be like ripping out of a fucking window. Spoilers. That's crazy. (laughs) How did he do that? Oh, maybe with the cable that was attached to him. Yeah. That you see. So, yeah, it's pretty pretty blatant. (laughs) Bernard Rose said of resetting the film in Cabrini Green, quote, it's a place that's scary without the need for monsters. Because this place is fucked. We'll go into a couple of different things about it. Cabrini Green was a housing project that was located in Illinois. And the 50th mayor of Chicago, Jane Margaret Byrne, who was the first female mayor, decided to change her quote unquote permanent residence to Cabrini Green to say, hey, I'm dedicated. We're going to rejuvenate urban housing. We're going to make this like a viable place for people to live. She made it three weeks. Yeah. This low income housing, over two thirds of the inhabitants were children. And then the rest of them were like single mothers. A lot of these people knew that their welfare would diminish significantly if they got married. So the climate was very specifically like single mothers like Anne Marie, who you see in this film. Violence abounded. I mean, Tony Todd even said when they were filming in the location, I tried to come in there with no expectation, but I still felt fear. Anybody who didn't belong there was a subject to danger. The cops told me to keep my eyes on the rooftops for snipers. And then I ran into a black woman and her two children. They were hustling back from the grocery store before it got dark and thought the film security people were cops. She asked us when we were going to clean the projects up, which really got me. Ouch. Dude, could you imagine? Like that, you're like, hey, I'm just, I'm just here to, to make a profit. Exactly. <laughs> to exploit the fact that where you live is fucking terrifying. Jeez. I mean, if you really want to get capture fear within your actors, why not just bring them in the element? Yeah. Almost like Tropic Thunder. There you go. <laughs> or, you know, why not just hypnotize them? Oh, we'll get into that. Whoa. So weird. So Cabrini Green, one other note, it was built in 1942. The story refers to the lynchings taking place in 1890. So obviously it's not the same thing, but we'll get into the theme of the identity of fear and not it necessarily being a one for one thingamajig. They only shot on Cabrini Green for three days. The rest I'm of it was all, they made it three days. It's kind of nuts. You were talking about they got shot at, but then they moved all filming to 
Los Angeles, Hollywood. <laughs> it's a little different, right? Different scenery between the shambles of Chicago, I guess you can call it, to the glitz and glamour of Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. Yay, sound stages. Yeah. Bernard Rose talked about that he based a lot of it off of real murders. We talked about a few of those. One of the things he also mentioned was there were two sets of abandoned genitals found where they didn't find the bodies. So is that where they came to have the little boy that gets his freaking junk cut off and, sorry, spoiler alert, in the bathroom? Is that how they got that? As opposed to his tongue. Yeah. So in the book... There's reference to his genital mutilation where it gets flushed down the toilet. And the woman says, just like Jake says in the movie, that he's better off dead. It's very, yeah, it's something that Clive Barker said that his grandmother told him when he was a kid to keep him from using public restrooms for fear of sexual deviancy and stuff. Wow. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. So in the book, it was originally set in Liverpool in the 1970s, set in Ruskin Court. And basically what Helen was studying was the graffiti itself, not folklore at all, which is kind of interesting. Her thesis was called Graffiti, the Semiotics of Urban Despair. So I actually was quite fond of that idea because through the graffiti, basically talking about parable and visuals and whatnot. So, you know, half a dozen of one and six of the other who gives a shit. Bernard Rose said, that the Candyman is a romantic character, the dark, handsome lover who demands total surrender. If you love the Candyman, then you'll die. But when all <laughs> horror films are about sex, I want a Candyman to get away from the rape fantasies that one associates with slasher movies. Helen deals with her desires when she summons the Candyman. She's like a priest who's always asking for God. But what would happen if God appeared and said, here I am? That might be what makes what the priest wants, but it would also drive him mad. That's fucking what? You start talking about peepees and then you're talking about God? But I get what he's saying. It's just like that's I mean, the you rambling put those, on the those two together, it makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, the, well, you, you <laughs> dirty boy. But I mean, what do you think about that? Because at one point, even uh, I think Clive Barker was talking about the idea of like how desperate God would be to make you believe in him. You know, that's one of the things that Candyman gets his power out of being feared, right? So basically the idea of he's doing these things to instill belief. So it's like... It almost increases his presence within the, like, I guess, human realm, right? Quote, Candyman really poses the question that if God exists because we believe in him, what would happen to him if we if our worship ceased? Would there be a five-minute period where God is running on belief? And would he try to win his followers back? And so this is basically Candyman saying, like, no, I'm, I'm worth being afraid of, and here's why. Isn't there a song called Running on Empty? And there's also a song, <laughs> what if God was one of us? Running on empty. Is that how it goes? Something yeah. like that. I don't know. That you, we that was the theme song for the the Running Man episode. <laughs> That's right, it was. Yeah. That makes sense. One thing I wanted to touch on for a lot of people, uh, there have been accusations for years that Clive Barker might have be HIV positive. He might have a drug problem. In 2012, he went in for a dental procedure and fell into a coma due to toxic shock. Jesus. And so for like the last seven years, he's been in recovery. He's really close to finishing a new book, and he's going to be doing a lot of dates this oh, that's year. Exciting. So, uh, yeah, just the official stance that that wasn't the case, and that he's in, in fine health. Not that you can't be in fine health if you're HIV positive, but you know what I mean. And I was very happy to see that, like, a very positive press release came out right that coincided with this episode. So that's very nice to see. The film was distributed by TriStar Films and Polygram. 
filmed entertainment. As Brian said, Philip Glass is the guy who did the music, who basically collects a check. And honestly, the music is this is like the John Williams score, if you right. will. I'm like, this movie would have been fine, but the music really elevates it to me. And shall we talk about the hook itself? Yes, sir. Bob Keane, director of Lost World. No, not Lost World Jurassic Park, but the 1998 Arthur Conan Doyle based on. Yeah, it's fucking terrible. You should watch it. It's really bad. <laughs> it's, ugh. But he made the hook in three hours. Now, allegedly, the legend goes that they actually hired a blacksmith to make the hook. This man found out it was for a Clive Barker film adaptation, having seen or heard of Hellraiser. And because he was a devout Christian, refused to sell them the fucking hook. So what happened? <laughs> Bob Keen made his own hook in three hours. Oh, okay. I was thinking that maybe they were using it and then he's like, give it back so I can melt it into a cross or something. (laughs) (laughs) The power of cross compels you. (laughs) And that is basically the statistics for this week, gentlemen. Shall we get into nicknames? Snicknames? Prick names. Virginia Madsen as Helen Lyle, not Helen Buchanan, which is in the book. I like Buchanan better, but Lyle. It always makes me think of Lyle Lovitz, who looks like the whitest cracker I've ever seen. <laughs> so I told you guys off air, she reminds me exactly of Tyler from Point Break. I kind of wanted to call her Point Break, but I totally understand if you have any other things. She was in Dune, The Haunting. Like I said, she's a sister of Mr. Blonde. What do you got? Not Dana Scully. Not uh, Dana Scully. Yeah, I was going to say that too. Ah, man. I thought it was her at first. I thought oh, you it was thought it was Julianne Yeah, I thought Absolutely. I could see that. Absolutely. I was like, I just saw her boobs. Wow. <laughs> like more of a side boob. Never seen that, but no, I think it's full on boob. It's full on boob. Mm. Full on boob in the bathtub? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, it's like one nip. I'll give well, it that. come on now. I like the weird milk. I mean, that's all I, I need. Hold on. Let's let's just do the math here. The boob math. If you have side boob and then you have full nip. Oh, actually, that's right, because it's the left nip and then it's the right nip side boob. Technically, I feel like that's a whole boob. Beautiful rack. <laughs> Quick <Yeah>. math. <laughs> Apparently, she actually is allergic to bees, which is kind of terrifying. So, like I mentioned vaguely in the intro... Bernard Rose actually hired a hypnotist to hypnotize her for the scenes that she had that's with Candyman. So weird. She ended up not being okay with it and they stopped doing it. But I that's new. Knew you would not do that to me at all. I don't know, man. I yeah, I, I feel the same way. I'm I feel a certain way about being put under any kind of trance or something like that. I've never had it happen to me, but I it just feels like it's invasive as far as like you delving into my fucked up brain like no only i want in there nobody else (laughs) no mas (laughs) so she was actually originally going to be playing bernie and then the studio decided to cast bernie as a black woman which is awesome and so she lost the part but then the director bernard rose's wife at the time alexandra pig found out she was pregnant so then the role of helen went back to to her. her how cool was that yeah that's cool that's trading up motherfuckers yeah, from what I read, apparently it made a lot more sense for her friend to be African-American, right? Because it's in Chicago. Yeah, and she also acts kind of like conduit. You know, if it yeah, was two that, white women walking around, it's way more conspicuous. That's true. That's true. She said, quote, our traditional role has always been as helpless victims, but now we've had the alien and Halloween films where women get chased but still remain strong. Helen never allows herself to be a victim in Candyman. Horrible things might happen to her, but she fights back. Did you get that vibe? 
Uh, I didn't really get that vibe. She's long suffering. I think that she doesn't become like the frantic wilting flower or whatever. She's always like she's reacting frantically, but not desperately or pathetically. So I'll give her some credit to what she's saying. Yeah, I just throughout the film, she just seemed to me to be bumbling around nonstop. Like I'm going to fall into this mess where somebody's murdered or there's blood everywhere. I'm going to grab this knife. I hear people coming and I'm going to grab this knife. Like I feel like before OJ Simpson got pinned for all that <laughs> shit, he just said Candyman five times and all of a sudden <laughs> he ran into his fucking Nicole Brown system getting destroyed and then he just had a knife in his hand and the cops came and he's like, no, it was the Candyman. You know what I mean? Like if the hook don't fit, you must acquit. <laughs> God, <laughs> she's gonna be not Dana Scully. Got it. Tony Todd played the Candyman. Like we said, doesn't appear until forty four minutes into the film. Originally, they wanted Eddie Murphy to play him. Two things stopped him. A little too short. Five foot eight, <laughs> and he's also a fucking megastar. So he would have made way too much money. And also, I think this whole movie would come off like Vampire in Brooklyn. So I'm really glad that didn't happen. I got nothing. Okay. Anybody? Well, I was gonna call him Willy Wonka. But one thing I really liked, quote, I've always wanted to find my own personal Phantom of the Opera. When you contextualize it like that, man, I love that imagery in my head. Because that's, I think, one of the things I like about this movie so much is that because I am, we all know, I'm a little gay. And Phantom (laughs) of the Opera is like where I'm the gayest I get. So does that come into play when it comes to a nickname or... No, I was going to call him Willy Wonka, but Willy I just Wonka. I had that quote pulled up and I wanted to make sure I said it before I forgot. Candy Wonka. <laughs> Willy Kane. <laughs> Willy Wonka. Willy Man. We're calling him Willy Man. <laughs> Dude, there's a lot of good info in here about him, like crazy info about this movie and him. Oh, yeah. It's like $1,000 bonus for every time he got stung. 23 <laughs> grand. Hey, biatch. That's fucking smart strategy when it comes to, you know, possibly getting hurt on the job. I want you to acknowledge that I made a horticultural reference there. B Och, as in a (laughs) bee who stung him and got him 23 grand. But apparently they were also fucking with bees that were 12 hours old or something and they were too young to be able to sting. So why well, didn't he not just his mouth? The one, just the ones in his yeah. mouth. Oh. That, Cuz that way they couldn't fly out of his mouth and they had to stay on his tongue and they couldn't sting him. Plus uh not Dana Scully or whatever the fuck we're calling allergic her. Allergic to bees, yeah. She was allergic to bees, so that's another reason why. How right? about you don't take that role? That's crazy. You don't right? want to die. Yeah, but then apparently beforehand so Barker was like, "Ah, you're not really fucking allergic." Was it Barker? Was it Rose? It might have been Rose who said, "I don't believe you. I feel like you just are afraid of bees. It's all just in your mind." She's like, "Nah, let's go to the doctor and I'll put it to the test." And they actually found out she was more allergic to wasps than anything. Okay, whatever. I did not know that. The more you know. Mm. One of the things I find very interesting is in the original Candyman story, his backstory is virtually unknown, but Todd was very keen on coming up with the backstory and really adding to that character because he's so into the motivation. He's actually a very accredited stage actor as well. So that's something I think is really interesting when an actor gets to inform the art that they're creating. So what do you think? Do you like... I like the backstory a lot. I think... It plays well into, I feel like, the remake if they were to continue using what he came up with from yeah. the original. And I could imagine it being that much more intense and almost like off-putting when it comes to like 
slaves and the different things that have to do with the racial tension between owners and slaves and whatnot. Like I imagine Peel, who is directing it, I think right? just producing, but yeah. or producing, uh, having a big, I guess, push on like emphasizing how dark and morbid it once was. Yeah, for sure. I think it's really interesting because it makes him a sympathetic character. Otherwise, he's just the boogeyman. Right. But here, he's suffering. This is a revenge film in a lot of ways. So that's awesome. Three years before he did the film Hatchet, he actually got to meet Adam Green at a fan convention. And the guy like bought stuff from him. And they talked for about a half hour. And then he's like, hey, you want to be in my movie? And he's like, nah. And then Kane Hodder's <laughs> like, hey, you should be in this kid's movie. And he's like, nah. Then Robert England's like, hey, you should be in this kid's movie. And he's like, okay, fine. Well, that was fun. He was like, he actually remembered the guy from the convention. It was like, hey, that's so cool. You're making your art. Now you can pay me to do my cameo. And also, so going back to the description of the Candyman, I wanted to show you this is the first artist depiction of the Candyman. You can see that looks like Babadook. It does. So it's originally, it was a black and white, and it was a terror tale from the Books of Blood. And you can find it, just Google what he originally looks like. The actual quote is. Uh, he has an unruly red beard, waxy jaundiced skin, roguey cheeks, blue lips, eyes like ruby, and a patchwork coat. None of those things happen. And then one thing that was interesting, so a week before they were filming, Tony Todd got to go out to Chicago with Bernard Rose. We'll call him Bernie. And, quote, we're both music fans, so I took him around to every blues bar that I knew in the city, including the world-famous Checkerboard Lounge. How cool is that? It's a great way to bond with somebody. I like it. And the last quote I wanted to give you from Mr. Tony Todd, I actually really enjoy it because I think that a lot of lessons can be learned from film. You know, I was talking to somebody about how my kid was watching Star Wars or whatever, and I got like the judge me look because it's she's less than two or whatever. And I was like, okay, that's fine. But you can still learn a lot through film, through narrative, through understanding. Quote, I love film. I grew up on film. Me and my aunt, we watched an eight o'clock movie every night. And then she used it as a morality tale. You know, you watch White Heat with James Cagney. He's up on the roof. Top of the world, Ma. And at the end, she says, what was that, son? Who was good? Who was bad? There's shades of gray, but at least we were able to increase my morality. And I think there's a lot of kids who don't necessarily have that today. Uh, That's really cool. I think it almost has him put into perspective that not what's in front of you, the emphasis on what's behind everything within a film. And it's almost like he's doing a book report, which is pretty neat. Yeah. Right? It also helps with your retention. I mean, your understanding interpersonal things. Like my kid knows to play jokes on me now. Right. Like the other day she pointed at something and she was like, flamingo. And I was like, that's not a flamingo. And she knew, she knew that she was fucking with me. And she like laughed. And I was like, you, <laughs> what? <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Because like, and I don't know if she necessarily got that from movie, but she understands subtext. She understands vocal inflection. A lot of things that are like harder lessons to learn because of film. So what I'm saying is, Show your kids Candyman. <laughs> Xander Berkeley as Trevor Lyle. Quote, she's not my mother, Todd. <laughs> Do you guys remember T2 Judgment Day? Yep. Yep. Come on, John. Go in there. You're not disrespecting mother. She's not my mother, Todd. <laughs> so here's the thing about that. Remember the text that I sent you about Trevor being a dick? Yeah. And you're like, yeah, dude. Remember in T2? I was talking about the the audio, the radio version that I listened to oh, before he's so I annoying. Yeah. before I had watched the movie. So <laughs> I had no idea. I was like, um, I, yeah, I guess the <laughs> British pippity poopity guy. <laughs> I was like, I don't remember if that's how he sounded, but yeah, I guess if you can get an idea of what he looked like based off of the radio, then sure, that that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So I'm just gonna call him Todd. 
because I can't get that out of my mind. <laughs> Vanessa yeah. A. Williams played Anne-Marie McCoy. McCoy was actually the name of, uh, I think it was Ruthie May, who was uh, McCoy. Who, who was, was a, actually myrtleized once upon a time. In the same in the same fashion as what they describe in the fucking film, which is absolutely terrifying if you think about it. I want to go home and kind of take my medicine cabinet and see if it could be like taken off the wall. <laughs> it's a little because jiggle. I'm like, um, there's probably a wall. There's a hole going to somebody else's fucking lair, and they're gonna murder me. That was real. Yeah, that that's happened in real life. Terrifying. There was that so much happened. blood in this apartment that it seeped through the cinder block walls and that's how they were able to find it out how fucking disgusting is that yikes awesome yeah they actually burrowed through from one medicine cabinet to another it was like only like two feet of drywall in between apartments oh that is terrifying yeah so we're moving on we can call her the mom because that's probably i probably won't come up with anything more clever for her yeah, I mean, honestly, she's not really in it for that very long, so I not don't know. Great. We had Cassie Lemons as Bernadette, a.k.a. Bernie Walsh. In the book, she's Trevor's assistant, and in the radio play, she thinks that he's flirting with her, and they are completely slapping nuts together. So <laughs> I like the fact that they consolidated it in the radio play. I think that they should have done that in this movie. Bernadette should be the Stacy or whatever the hell that girl's name is who's slapping nuts with right, him. Right, right. Consult, it makes way more sense. Just the fact that she's left screaming at the end isn't worth it. I was going to call her Bernadette. Oh, yeah, because she dies. Yeah. We had a Dijuan guy as Jake. We're just going to call him Jake because Jake's the best name wow. of all of the names. Moving on to Ted Raimi as Billy. Billy. Who's his brother? Billy. Sam. Sam's his brother. Sam Raimi? Mm-hmm. Oh, got it. Okay. I was so <laughs> I'm sorry. Confused. I was like, did I just fuck up <laughs> Sam Raimi's name? I was about to start Googling furiously and be like, evil dead what? <laughs> yeah. And then there's Mike Culkin as Philip Purcell. I wanted to Google if he was related to Macaulay. Didn't get around to it. Somebody do that. Leave me a comment. And then Bernard Rose played Archie Walsh. One last thing. Anthony McCoy played by two girls, Letitia and Lanisha Martin. There you go. Now this movie's addressing gender rights. Boom. We got race <laughs> rights. We got socioeconomic rights. So I ahead of its it. time. Yeah. Shall we get into the recapitation? Yep. Ryan, it's all you, dude. I've been talking way too fucking much. I'm like looking at you guys and you're like, all right, Jake's on I'll a just roll. chime in here and there, man. That's what I do. Yeah. So You're the salt and pepper guy. That's right. Essentially what it is it boils down to a graduate student who wants to do her thesis paper on urban legends. She comes across the story of Candyman and she doesn't believe it. She tricks her friend into saying Candyman five times, which I feel like is a ripoff of Bloody Mary. But maybe that's just me. But I played it as a kid. Anyways, he appears to her and crazy murders happen where she gets framed into basically being the crazy white woman throughout the film. And then a giant funeral pyre. Not really even a funeral pyre, but a giant fire pyro. In the book, it's supposed to be for Guy Fawkes Day. So they don't really explain it in the movie. Appears, chaos ensues, and everybody dies the end (laughs) that's fucking crazy it wasn't anything near what happens in the film but yeah i was just winging it like usual it's a lot it's a lot to unpackage (laughs) just imagery alone is a lot to unpackage so we can get into it jim slay by play can i make a disclaimer before we get into it i'm a huge sucker 
from movies where people are researching or studying or they're questing to find something because that gives you a, a free get out of jail free card, a free free card, you know, as you do because redundancies are what. But my point is it gives you a pass to have that kind of logical gap where you're like, hey, chick, don't do this. This is a bad idea. But she's doing it for her own personal gain. So she's putting herself and thrusting herself in this scenario repeatedly. She's trying to unravel the thread. So it gives you, A, a default motivation, but then, B, a great excuse for them to be stupid at times. So that's all. I just wanted to make sure that was known because I give this movie a lot of credit. Cool. I like that, too. It gives them a <laughs> cool, lot of cool. drive. Yeah, exactly. Drive to get fucked up. Drive Baby, to get you fucked can up. drive my that's car. Right. Do, 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 well, what's do, really great do. about it, too, sorry to jump ahead, or jump in front of you, Jim. But a lot of these films, a lot of the horror films have these stupid sounds that actually sound very ominous. And then somebody's like, huh, that's weird. I'm going to go ahead and do that. Or I'm going to go ahead and inspect that. Or I'm going ahead and going down into the basement when you shouldn't go down into the basement. Whereas there was really none of that in this film. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of... It's not like stupid moments where you're just like, why the fuck are you doing that? She's doing it all because she wants to pique her curiosity and this is all fueled off of her investigation. Yeah. Right? It's situational. It's not within the situation. Like the fact that she puts herself in that scenario is bad, but not like within it. She's not making like those stupid gaps. Yes. I get you. All right. So the movie opens with a panning shot of a freeway and a cityscape, which we already talked about. It is called a sky cam using a 500 millimeter lens with no vibration. And there is some weird mass of bees that comes up over the city. Yeah. And then we hear the Candyman's voice. So deep. They and will say I shed innocent blood. What's blood for, if not for shedding? Yes. And then, oh yeah, so bees engulf the city, and then he says, I came for you. Yeah. And then it fades out to not Agent Scully interviewing a girl. Uh, you know, funny enough, every time I nut, I say that, whatever porn I'm looking at. Wait, what? <laughs> Dana Scully interviewing a girl? <laughs> no, I came for you, you fuck. <laughs> huh? Sorry. I'm sorry, come again? Ah, <laughs> uh, 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 Dana Scully interviewing a girl. <laughs> My wife's like, excuse me? No, she's probably like, by now she's like, oh, we're done? Okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> It's not even anything weird. Dana Scully interviewed a girl. Oh, okay, I can go to bed. Thanks. It's juice time. <laughs> so this girl's telling a story about her babysitter. A babysitter. And she says, the scariest story I've ever heard. And so basically it's about this boy, Billy, comes over. And really? Sorry, to the babysitter. And that was Raimi, right? That was yeah. That's Raimi, exactly. Right. And he, did you guys? Did you guys happen to catch that it wasn't her actual boyfriend? Yeah, she's totally cheating. Exactly. <laughs> she likes the fact that he's a bad boy. But what's funny is he's the bad boy in this. But if you remember in Spider Man, he's the guy who J. Jonah Jameson's like food poisoning scare rave city. He goes, so people got poisoned. Right. The exact opposite. Another thing it's called I, range, motherfucker. <laughs> Another thing that I noticed as well is they happen to say that she was willing to give him something that she was she didn't the virgin. She wasn't prepared to give her boyfriend. I'm like, wait, so why the fuck is that guy still around, right? What, the hymen? The boyfriend. <laughs> it's a hymenator. <laughs> He's just like the placeholder, I guess. Yeah, well, you know, he's the guy to like buy her things and take her to movie. This guy, <laughs> this guy, bringing it this. back. It's been a while. Raw dog. <laughs> it's been a while. I haven't done it. It's, I was thinking about it the other day. Like I was on a dry spell for a while. But it's been a minute. So congrats, Jake. 
Now I'm going to say it five more times this fucking episode. You just you wait. Maybe you'll start singing too. Four more times. You already said it once. Raw dog. <laughs> <laughs> the raw dog is going to show up behind me. That's going to be bad. <laughs> I'm going to clench my butt cheeks now just in case. Anyway, <laughs> so she sends him downstairs and then says, Candyman, the final time. And then he's sitting there and he's like, I'm going to get my dick wet. And then blood trickles out of the ceiling thing. And that's how he ends up getting his dick wet. <laughs> Perfect. He escapes and his hair went white. Two different times they talk about that. That's an interesting. Oh, and then the baby dies. Oh, yeah. And the, so she finishes the interview and she leaves the room, goes into another room. And that's where we meet Bernadette. She's interviewing another kid who is kind of creepy. Yeah, that guy's weird, man. He kind of had like a... Zach Morris kind of look to him, right? <laughs> yeah. And they talk about killing a baby in an oven. And then here's the weird thing. Helen and her homegirl smoking cigarettes in a school. I noticed that too. I was like, wow, you guys are so fucking rebellious, man. Tobacco free zone, motherfucker. And then the next scene, we go to the University of Illinois and there is a professor and they're talking to the students about urban legends and basically just calls them bedtime stories. And then not Dana Scully comes in and we find out that she's a professor's wife. Did you catch the fact that they foreshadow the entire film on the chalkboard? What? No. Really? Okay. It's very, it's very Shaun of the Dead. The lecture notes on the chalkboard. One, some, if only a little basis in truth. Two, often a victim seeking revenge. Three, resides in a forbidden area, sometimes to keep children from that area. Four, deformities. Five, appliances, blades, hooks, etc. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> it's a whole movie. It's rad, right? I like it. Which adds to a theory. Shall I regale you? Go for it. There is no candy man. There's never a candy man. It's only not Dana Scully. I also thought about that as well. Yeah, well, I think they kind of play on that, right? Well, well, her constantly getting framed for all of these murders almost makes it seem like that is the case. And then, uh, but then you're this, this is me jumping way, way ahead. But like the re review, or I guess the video of her within the insane asylum, yeah. and it shows her freaking out at absolutely nothing, kind of leads to believe that she's slowly slipping into He's insanity. Not bad. Yeah, but the basics is, is that this sets off the delusion and then the head trauma when she gets ganked by that not Candyman dude Ooh. is what actually makes her go off the deep end. Because until then, she's straight CTE, man. Yep. All it's, about that Chris Benoit syndrome, dude. It's believable. Yeah. I like it. The only thing that makes that theory weak is the idea that she's been in the institution for a month and then how was baby Anthony alive? If not suckling the bloody finger of the Candyman. But and then, we're going to do it. And then also the fact that she's in her restraints and then all of a sudden the psychiatrist that's interviewing her just gets fucking decimated right in front of her face. But check this Unless out. Unless she's imagining all of that. There you go. Because when Tony Todd or pulls her out of the, or when Willy Wonka, excuse me, so uncouth of me, when he pulls out the strap, he only pulls one part of it. He doesn't unbuckle anything. So that's showing like it's not really hooked. It's just a figment of her imagination that is hooked. It's very Sybil. It's very Fight Club. <laughs> Do you think there are alligators in the sewer, Jim? Answer me. <laughs> no, but there are giant rats. Giant rats. The fuck are you looking at me for? I'm no narc. <laughs> White ass cracker. <laughs> the giant rats ate all the alligators. The albino alligators that are blind. Yeah. Yeah. So going back to... <laughs> <clears throat> so we find out that Helen is a professor's wife and then the student... Fucking Stacy. Stacy. That little has a thing for the professor. 
Oh, and she, Helen, not Dana Scully, totally catches on right off the yeah. bat. And, I mean, you guys are not playing coy at all. Like, bitch, I'm going to fucking kill you later. Stop flopping that pussy around my <laughs> husband. <laughs> and not so many words, but sure. And her husband's like, come on, she's in love with me, but whatever. She's just a hot piece of ass and you're only crazy. What's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> the next scene is Helen transcribing her interview and the house cleaner or housekeeper overhears her talking about Candyman and she gets her other house cleaner. Is it a housekeeper or is housekeeper. it just like a custodian? Oh, housekeeping. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think, right? It's like, yeah, because they're still at the university, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, okay. Sorry, I'm like, is she back at her house? <laughs> no, 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 she's at the university, but it's like... I mean, they do show her she house. She has two housekeepers? They do show her house and it's fucking huge. So, it's I mean, it nice, wouldn't yeah. surprise me. The other cleaner comes in and talks about how the lady who was killed... And how she heard noises and someone came through the wall and killed her with a hook. That's terrifying. Yeah, no thanks. And then what she says, she mentions it being in the papers, which gives credence to it. So then Helen goes and searches the microfilms. Right. And then she shows them to Bernadette and she comes up with like, this is where she kind of lost me. She, She has like pictures of the greens. And then she also has a picture of her own apartment. And she like puts them side by side. And yeah, I didn't notice this until obviously after the fact where she like very clearly explains in detail like, okay, well, these are set up exactly the same way. Right. But in the, in the scene itself, I was also confused. I was like, oh, wait, are they the same building? I thought for a right. second that she was in the same building just remodeled. No, basically, it's meant to show that they have the same starting off point. It's the it's same structure, ex- except I'm over here and this is a much better area compared to what this is over yeah, here. Yeah, arbitrarily, because there's right. this highway in between. And that's basically what they're saying is she has every opportunity that these people have. She's just the same, but because of her white privilege, because of her position, because of just blind luck, basically, she's in a better position vastly. But it's kind of weird. I think they could have delivered that in a much more succinct way. They go to the medicine cabinet and she shows her that you can see to the other side, other apartment. And then they, they close it up and they, they do the Candyman times five. That's still very fucking terrifying again. I feel like I've said very terrifying multiple times by now, but I would be fucking taking some silicone or some <laughs> liquid cement. Some I would super glue that bitch fucking shut because just the thought of knowing that there is an abandoned apartment on the other side connected to this hole behind your medicine cabinet is nope no thanks get my ass to Lowe's and buy some razor wire yeah that shit would be booby trapped the fuck up Kevin McAllister in this bitch so Bernadette only does it four times then she leaves it cuts to Helen sleeping and she hears a thud and wakes up and then that that scream was just so bad pretty hacky it was pretty hacky so he jumps into bed and scares her and then it cuts to Helen and Bernadette driving and Bernadette is carrying mace and we learn that they are driving to the projects to investigate did you notice that everybody is smoking at all times in this because in the car they're even smoking it was like really distracting to me I was like is this what is this happening right right now is this Casablanca (laughs) I really like the fact that they reinforced how much of a douche the husband is over right? and over again. Like yeah. when he comes home late and he's like, oh, I'm super smashed. You automatically know what the fuck was going on. Yeah, he was yeah. playing Super Smash Brothers at his friend's house on GameCube. <laughs> <laughs> he lost bad. Or they were playing Super Smash, the uh, itsy bitsy parts below the belts. Oh, <laughs> I get you. I smish. So they're at the projects. 
pull out his home run bat. <laughs> <laughs> Finally remembered what it was called. I was like, Falcon Punch? That's not the joke. Link? That's not the joke. Home run bat. It looks like a dick. Sorry, Jim, you were saying? So they get to the, pro- <laughs> the projects and they're getting catcalled by all the men and they basically go up the stairs. I and- like how everybody's like, Hey, what's up, cop? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but still, hey, you want to slap nuts, Mrs. Cop? <laughs> They're like, you have to tell me you're a cop, right? Hey, are you a cop? They're like, no, nah, it doesn't work like that. Nope. <laughs> so they find the apartment where the woman was killed, and it's the exact same layout as her condo. They're taking pictures, and they find the bathroom and the hole in the medicine cabinet, and they decide to climb through. I thought the the shot of like through it was pretty tense. Was, oh, like, yeah. Waiting for something. And the shot of her coming out of the Candyman's mouth is the best visual in the whole oh, movie. That graffiti is so good. It's so rad. And it's, it's like, it's not perfect. It's it, like the perspective is a little odd and it's just, it's so unnerving. And that comes out of the book too, especially the depiction of the teeth. Yeah. I think it, from what I recall with the audio, the radio version, they describe it as like she crawls through the mouth and then she turns around and the, the amount of light coming out of the mouth. It was, it was just like insane. Oh, yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool. And, you know, Brian, how you talk some shit about my singing, which is awesome. I mean, that's why I'd say probably 30% of the audience turns in. Conservative estimate. This scene. Candy apples and razor blades. I remember Halloween. Because she finds candy that has a fucking razor blade in it. Biatch. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you think that has holds any kind of semblance to the stories of people like saying hey kids don't eat all the candy that you see make sure you check it before because of razor blades yeah which has largely been debunked this film basically just like reiterated like listen motherfuckers there's crazy assholes out there yeah exactly (laughs) so they climb back through the mirror and they close it and as they close it like what happens when you summon him there's a lady standing there do you guys think or do you guys remember her picture or her picture, her picture taker, her camera making all those fucking weird sounds? I was like, did cameras sound like that once upon a time? Yeah, because it sounded she, she like took the last picture, so it was rewinding the film. Dude, it sounded like it do you was like what film is? she was shooting like a fucking laser and it was like <laughs> Well, it's certainly dramatized, yeah. What is film? You're talking about the movie itself? What is this? <laughs> You mean like the smegma in my uncircumcised oh, penis? That little f- oh film? Oh no! Just kidding. I'm I'm snipped. <clears throat> you want to see? <laughs> I don't know what's happening right there. <laughs> I'm so tired, dude. Can we talk about this? My wife's grandma died. My grandma died. Terry Jones died. This is a rough week. So basically, what I'm saying is, if you're not a Patreon patron, <laughs> can you imagine? Oh, please, God, don't. Uh, just donate. Don't, yeah, donate. <laughs> if not to us, then to some fucking charity, a Terry Jones-related charity. Or Australia. Yeah. We're going way off here. And now for something completely different. <laughs> so the lady that appears behind them takes them back to her apartment and basically talks about living in the projects. Did you guys get get a feeling that like she didn't exactly invite them in? They just basically followed her. Yeah. They're like, hey, we're kind of fucking freaked out here. Can we follow you back to your apartment? And she's like, um, I guess. <laughs> so they tell her why they're there. and They get her account of when Ruthie Jean was killed. How- Ruthie Jean is not my lover. <laughs> Just the girl that's murdered. 
(laughs) (laughs) So the next scene is Helen, Bernadette, and Trevor out to dinner with Purcell, another person. Oh, he's such a douche. Yeah. And Archie. That's where you get to see Bernard. And Archie. Purcell's talking about how he wrote about Hookman 10 years ago. The legend first appeared in 1890. And this is where you get the backstory that Todd came up with. Right. Which I think is really cool how they actually included it within the film instead of just like including it in the film and not explaining it. Right. If they would have just been like, okay, well, here's the backstory. But instead, they like basically took Candyman's actor's portrayal of it and gave it to a white man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's kind of a fucked way of looking at it. It is, yeah. <laughs> he should be the one. Yeah, that's pretty weird. It's more succinct, but I definitely agree with you. <laughs> Give us a good old flashback, right? Well, they do a flashback in uh, Candyman is it like too, a, the Wayne's World. <laughs> but because he has a hook hand, it's only half. <laughs> but yeah, it's based on the actual murder of Ruthie May McCoy, a 52-year-old who was shot four times on April 22nd, 1987 and struggled with paranoia. Yeah, apparently the way they caught the guys that killed her where they were peddling her big screen TV and like other things down at the lower apartments. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Is Come that on, Ruthie May's big screen TV? Come on, guys. He's like, at no. At least move it down a couple blocks. Yeah, Jeez. Right. Should I go over the legend or just... Yeah. So the legend first appeared in 1890, where he was the son of a slave and he was a skilled artist who fell in love with a girl that he was supposed to paint a picture of. Did you happen to notice how he described the girl? Her virginal beauty. What a fucking creep. (laughs) That hook goes up that skirt later. I'll remember that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So her father sent men after him who sawed off his hand with a rusty saw, smeared honey all over him, and he basically died from bee stings. And then they burned him and spread his ashes all over Caprini Green. Not a not a fan of any of that. Sounds awful. It's also a lot, right? Mm. Like just having a hook is one thing. Just being eaten by beans is another thing. Just beans be- by eaten by beans. Killer bees. beans. <laughs> I said bees. You it said like beans. beans to me. It I'm, I'm like to this again, and we so will find. So you're volunteering to edit this episode? Fine. Then I said beans. <laughs> no, I think you're doing this one. Too late. Bitch. You already said it. Biatch, bizach. Anyway, my point being, being, get it? Haha. <laughs> Editor's note: Brian did not edit this episode. Also, he is a cum bubble. But then, like having your ashes burned on the unhollowed ground, like each one right. of those things is an origin. They just put three of them together, and like, oh, and also he's called Candyman. Anytime I hear <laughs> somebody saying anything about somebody being killed by bees or attacked by bees, I always imagine. Nick Cage oh. going, ah, bees, <laughs> From the, the Wicker bees. Man. <laughs> awesome. So the next scene is Helen is back at Caprini Green Projects, and she goes to the apartment of the lady she was at before, and there's a boy outside, Jake. Which is the best nickname ever. Mm. So she asks him about the death, and he says he could take her to show her where Candyman is. So he takes her across the street to a park and the bathroom and tells her of the boy they got killed. He didn't get killed. He got his dick cut off oh, right. and he was better right. off dead. <laughs> he was better off dead. Ugh. Do you like how he was like, oh, he's kind of a special kid. And she's like, oh, special? Like, uh, what do you mean? And he's like, like a retard. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, whoa. Drops the hard R. <laughs> so his mom was across the street and he kids start screaming. So big... Big man in the store runs over there and after five seconds comes out shaking and his hair had turned white. Which, like Jake said earlier, second time that's been mentioned. And the scene goes inside the bathroom and the kid's junk is torn off. There's blood all over the like 
floor leading to the toilet. It's a pretty gruesome scene. Yeah, yeah. it's gnarly. The violence takes place off screen, but the aftermath is what you see, and it's still it's gnarly. Right. It so, gives you kind of an idea of what happened without actually seeing it. So yeah. it's really cool. So Helen goes inside the restroom, and there's graffiti all over the place. There's stuff written in shit on the walls. There's like sweets, and then sweets to the sweet. Which, which was, is in the book, which is in the audiobook, yeah. Which was Hamlet? Sweets for my sweets, sugar for my honey. <laughs> I don't think that's Jimmy Hamlet. So. I mean, maybe. <laughs> yeah. That's a song. It's on a playlist I made my wife years ago because basically I was telling her that I have a hook for a hand. <laughs> yeah, Sweets to the Sweet, which is written at the crime scenes in uh, Hamlet. Yeah, obviously. I knew that. <laughs> Duh. I like how she obviously has to go one by one through the different Act stalls. five, scene one, page 11. You uncultured fuck. Of course I knew that. Uncultured swine. As you were saying. So she goes through all the stalls and the last one has like an arrow pointing down. She lifts up the toilet and it's full of bees. Wouldn't it be worse if it was just, just diarrhea? Just fucking <laughs> god awful diarrhea. Some flies. Or my beans earlier. <laughs> She opens up the, the last one and it's just Lloyd with his thumb in his mouth. like <laughs> From Dumb and Dumber. So the kid outside is standing there and someone comes up behind him and you don't see him and the kid go, kid says Candyman. And so this group of men walk in and it's a guy just holding a hook who ends up just uh, hitting her in the side of the head with it. I hear you're looking for Candyman, bitch. Well, you found him. Whap! <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that Shiner, though? Oh, God yeah, damn. Dude. Shit, she looked like Sloth from the Goonies for a second there. <laughs> oh, no. And the next scene's the police lineup. Yeah, so they're all going through the line. Hey, you look like... What, what, sorry. <laughs> I hear you looking for Candyman, bitch. Well, you found him. Whap! I, I wish they made him do the whap, too. <laughs> <laughs> you forgot the sound effects. Do it again. But I don't, I've been here for six hours. Do the whap! Wouldn't it be great? I always thought of if I were to be a person who did a horrible crime like that and I was in a lineup, I would make my voice sound nothing like me. Like, I'm like, I hear you're looking for Candyman, <laughs> Ex- bitch. Exactly. Whap. <laughs> She's like, it looks like it, but the sound is off. You know what? You guys are good. You, you can go. Sir, can you do it in a lower register? I hear you're looking for Candyman, bitch. <laughs> you found him. <laughs> Basically, it's Mickey Mouse in a lineup. <laughs> oh, no. So the next scene is Trevor getting home and Helen making dinner. And every time we see him, he's making like a con- he makes. There's always a little bit of a comment that suggests he's not telling the truth. Oh, for sure. Where for were you? One. I was slinging dick. I mean, uh, <laughs> not that. Well, at this point, she also is very much aware of what's going on. It's just a little bit of uh, subtlety in her part when she says, like, you are hungry, right? He's like, of course I am. Why wouldn't I be right. hungry? I just ate roast beef curtains <laughs> on some <laughs> oh, co-ed. No. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not talking Arby's. No. Oh, God. Horseradish sauce. <laughs> I assure you that my co-hosts are laughing. They're just doing that <laughs> silent laugh where you're like, what are we doing? So then Bernadette's like, oh, well, science, science. We got the photo people to save your pictures. And so she's looking at the pictures in the parking lot. And this is our first face-to-face. She's walking towards her car, looking at the negatives. And we see feet in a coat. 
and she doesn't see anything. And then there's a deep voice and Candyman voice going, Helen. And she starts having like flashbacks to picture the pictures that she took of the graffiti and him with his mouth open. I came for you. And so he's on the other side of the parking structure and he walks towards her and she looks hypnotized. And because she, she literally was, which is uncomfortable was. AF. And he says, I am the writing on the wall. Be my victim. I must shed innocent blood. The whisper in the classroom. Without these things, I am nothing. So now I must shed innocent blood. Come with me. Which is basically he's saying like, let's fuck. <laughs> and then shit gets crazy. Yeah, dude. <laughs> it gets, it's like, yeah. what? It went from probably like a four at that point. You're like, oh shit, Candyman, that's really scary. And then all of a sudden blacked out to fucking blood everywhere. Why is everybody screaming? Where all this blood come from? <laughs> I hate it when that happens. Yeah, right. She wakes up on the floor of the project's bathroom and they're screaming. She's covered in blood. She opens the door. There's a dog severed head and fucking a knife. dog head, man. Super bummed about that. It was probably the worst kill of this movie. Yeah, pretty gnarly. So she picks up the knife and then she opens the door to see Anne-Marie standing over her crib with a bunch of blood everywhere and the baby it, gone. Is it? I think, it, isn't it at like a meat cleaver? I yeah. feel like it's a meat cleaver. Yeah. It is yeah. fucking crazy. So Anne-Marie attacks her and in her defense, Helen hits her in the arm and causes blood to splurt everywhere. That's pretty cool. And then the police come in. And then she's being processed, which is super uncomfortable. All right. The one thing I would love if, you know, because she's trying to advocate that she engaged in self-defense, right? Right. She's, so, she's pulling the OJ Simpson. So while she's being processed, I wish that she would have been like, they drew first blood. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that they spray her with a hose. <laughs> and she's like, why are you always pushing me? And then that's when they have her strip off all her clothes. Yeah. It's, 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 that happens in the film. I'm not making that up. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's what ties it all together to first blood. Okay. okay yeah. I just, you were having a blank stare. So because I, was, what I just said, <laughs> Mr. Court reporter, will you read back the minutes? <laughs> My bad. It's okay. I thought you were punking me like I had said it wrong. And I was like, no, I did say it right. I'm going to take a That's little That's all right. I'll delete here. all of this. So oh, it's all oh you're editing it? <laughs> <laughs> Brian did not edit this episode. So, so she's at the police station. She's getting processed and she's covered in blood and she's stripping. She has to lift and show the underboob. She has to show the underboob. It's so weird. Well, you can hide stuff if your titties are big enough. I can yeah. hide a shiv under my titty now. <laughs> <laughs> That's just my dad bought. Imagine if you got some double D's. Double D's nuts. No. <laughs> <laughs> you could hide some fucking brass knuckles under that titty like you're William Regal. I could hide a fucking Glock under this taint. Oh! <laughs> That's because of the hair, though, not because of the size of your balls. The cop's like, uh, uh, does anybody have a machete? Uh, I'm going to go home and get my weed whacker. Then you bust it out. You're like, let me go, nah, cop. dude, just use a weed burner. Just a little propane fucking hookup. Propane, propane accessories. <laughs> God, God damn it, mother. God dang it. <laughs> Jim's like, I have shit to do. <laughs> I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> Brian's always had the best. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank hey, you. You're, you're too kind. You're too kind. <laughs> so here's where we find out that the baby is missing and she is locked in a cell and she see, has a vision of the baby and Candyman hook. Mm. I like how they like when they're questioning her, they're just beating around the bush and all of a sudden he's just like, where's the baby, bitch? Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm done fucking around. Where's the goddamn baby? But it's the same cop who was so nurturing to her before right. when the fake candy man had attacked her. So it's a great way of showing like this. You have no safety net here. Nobody's rooting for you. Nobody believes right. you. So she makes her phone call to Trevor at 3 a.m. And he gone. He gone slapping nuts. Mm. He could be editing papers, but probably slapping nuts. The only way he's editing papers is if they're on the headboard. <laughs> Like, I'm going to give you a D, 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 D. Oh, no. Oh, no. So they leave the police station and they go home with Trevor and the lawyer. And then cuts to Helen is in the bath and Trevor comes by and he's like, I got to pick up something at school. Mm-hmm. He's got to pick up that skirt. And then... What do you think he sounds like when he comes? Oh, no. We're doing this? <laughs> Jim, what do you think he sounds like when he no. comes? You got to do one. No. Come on. Brian, your turn. <laughs> <laughs> I like you. You worked a little Nixon in there. <laughs> Jim, do it. Let's start a slow chant. Do, do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> I can't do it. I like how Jim's like no. Jim's like I'm gonna totally make up one, but he's really gonna do his. Yeah, <laughs> he's like I can't, I can't. That's just that's mine. You can't have that. That's mine. Do it, Jim. Mm. It'll feel so good. It'll make no. you know. I want to see his O face. <laughs> <laughs> you, you remember the pink Muppets from the Manamana? That's what I look like when I come. <laughs> and then Sierra's like, mana, mana. <laughs> and like, do, 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 when you found out you were fucked. Yeah, right. <laughs> Just like Jim with his O face. Do it the sound. Oh. <laughs> I like how he had the shake too. It was awesome. Yeah, that for those good. of you who couldn't see, he like jiggled his hand like he was about to throw some dice. <laughs> Oh, this is good. This is comedy gold. What fucking Russian uh, bathhouse are you in where you're shaking your hand like that when you come? Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, oh, yes. Awesome. Woo! Moving on. So she's like, do you believe in me? And they're like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and so Candyman appears to her and he says that her basically her presence ruined his mythos and she says your your death will be a tale to frighten children to make lovers cling closer in their rapture so basically what she's saying is that because you started snooping around and asking stupid questions i have to make an example out of you right i'm almost becoming irrelevant because you have made it seem like some other guy is taking my name so i need to make uh, some kind of sacrifice to make it so that I, it, I'm i all about the spotlight again. Yeah. And this is after, of course, sorry, I forgot to mention, where she's looking at the slides in more detail with the projector and she can see him behind her. It's kind of like oh, yeah. your Blade Runner scene where they're like, you know, enhance, enhance. I was thinking CS, CSI. There you go. <laughs> so from there, but Bernadette she, shows up with flowers. That's fun. Oh, yeah. I like how she's still a solid friend. 
even after all of this, because not going to lie, Jake, you go and fucking murderize somebody. I might just be giving you a phone call. I wouldn't even do that. You cut the head off a dog and a baby goes missing. I'm like, oh, Brian who? You yeah. can't prove I ever knew a Brian. Damn, not even a phone call? No. And I dick. delete every episode of the podcast. You were on people like, man, what happened to your back catalog? I'm like, I don't know. Strangest thing. That'd be funny if like there's photos of us and I just slowly disappear out of them. <laughs> like back to the future too. After she sees the reflection and she hears him talking, she she goes to the mirror. Yeah. And then and then he like breaks through and she starts running, runs out and sees him down the hall, runs runs back in, in. runs into the kitchen, grabs the knife. And then he like comes to her and basically spikes her like in the back of the neck. Kind of almost almost like he like caressed her neck and then like she had blood on it. Yeah, it's just a little cut. But then this is where she's like one last caress. One last (laughs) caress. There we go. Wow. That actually fits with the whole baby thing. Oh, shit. I didn't even think about that. As long good. as it's dead. And Jim's as long like, as... Don't know this song. It's either Will as long as it's... shut the fuck up? As long as it's dead or as long as she's spread. One last song. <laughs> and he, he tells her, allow me to take you or the child dies in your place. So she basically makes a bargain with him, kind of at that point. Dormammu, I've come to bargain. <laughs> This is where Bernadette rings the doorbell and she hears stuff. No, she comes in. Yeah. And this is where Helen's like, no, leave, please don't. And then she's like, no, I'm not going to listen. I'm obviously going to come in armed only with flowers. Yeah. But at the same time, for some reason, I got the thought of her still being in like a trance. And when she's saying, no, don't come in, he's here, it almost sounds like she's saying it very subtly or very quietly where she means to be screaming it, but she's just hypnotized. Basically hypnotized. Yeah. Yep. So then Trevor gets home and he's like, because she's holding a knife again. Yeah, of course she's holding the knife again. But hey, you know what? It wasn't me this time for the how many times now? Trevor so. was like, again with the knife. <laughs> you, we we got to stop finding you covered in people's blood and weapons in hand because it's just not a good look. <laughs> she's back and that jailer woman is like, lift up your titty. And she's like, we have to stop meeting like this. So she wakes up in handcuffs and she's taken to the hospital. There she's strapped down to the bed and she hears a candy man's voice and has a vision of the baby. And then she has a vision of Candyman, or he's actually there. But floating above her. He's totally doing like a Mission Impossible right now. (laughs) He's got like a wire and he's just. (laughs) I was thinking Kung Pao Enter the Fist when the Chosen One is doing push ups by breathing onto the ground and he's floating. But yeah, yours is good too. So she gets sedated and then we go to another scene where there's the baby crying. I want to be sedated. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that you sang along. Yes. Jim for president. You're putting up with us really good tonight. Jim turned 2020. <laughs> so the baby goes to the scene of the baby crying and then the candy man sues him by sticking his finger in his mouth. So fucking he's weird. He's feeding him blood. It's oh, is he so feeding weird. him blood? Yeah, he like, touches his wound and then feeds it the I blood. I feel like it would make more sense if it was honey. Sweet for my sweet. Oh, God. No, no, no. I'm talking about him originally being covered in honey and the bees attacking him. I'm not saying it's like dick juice or anything, man. (laughs) I was just singing the stupid song, you weirdo. So Helen wakes up in the hospital and we find out that she's been out for a month. But that's strange. Her hair looks exactly the same. It's weird. (laughs) She's 
she gets rolled. She go, goes and talks to the doctor and she's been charged with first degree murder. And she's basically says like, okay, this is not me. This is the candy man. And I could prove it. I like how great that is. Right. Because you can imagine as being the doctor where she's like, I swear I can prove it to you. And she's like, candy man and he's like okay enough just fucking get out of my office yeah. right now <laughs> you see the stack of paperwork i gotta get to i have a board of directors i answer to i don't have time for your shenanigans <laughs> who put a fucking vanity and a sink in my office i am a scholar and i have no time for this shit at all so she does the whole candy man times five and then there's like a pause and you're like is she crazy or is this going to actually happen? And then it happens. Totally happens. It's pretty gnarly too. I mean, he's violently retching and stuff. It's super fun. That's a, it's a great kill. Basically, at this point, it's your only on-screen kill. Yeah. And I love it. I love how he's like, because he just comes up from behind him as he's like getting hooked in the yeah. back. Yeah, he does. Wait, what? Prison rules. <laughs> Raw dog. He did. Yes. Raw dog. I like it. <laughs> when you said X5 right now, you know what it reminded me of? I'm going to derail us again. It reminded me of one Mr. Booker T. Because you- five times. Five times. Five times. That's so fucking good. How did I not think about that? Dude, years ago, I think it was SummerSlam when he went up against The Rock. I thought for sure I was going to end up on TV because I made a sign that said Spinner Rooney by Fisher Price. Didn't get on TV. Oh, that sucks. I was fat and ugly though, so I can't Dude, blame him. Dude, his was fucking legit. Everything. Every, go back and watch his Harlem Heat Dude, stuff. Dude, Harlem so Heat awesome. stuff was so good. What happened to his partner? Stevie. Uh, he had some like mid middling single success, uh, but then did other bad. tag stuff. But he was older, so he's actually who got Booker into pro wrestling. After Booker did jail time for uh, armed robbery. Oh shit! Yeah, dude, turned his life around. Yeah. That's pretty neat. His podcast is great. You should probably listen to that instead of this one. Sorry. No, don't do that at all. Yeah, I'll listen to want ours. Me, want me to and yell about come again? And donate to <laughs> Patreon. Patreon. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> like, subscribe. Like, subscribe. Validate my existence. <laughs> this is going to be so fun to edit. Brian did not edit this episode. Jim's like, where the fuck am I? <laughs> what is happening? It's when he gets stabbed. Yeah. So the doctor gets killed and then... Oh, I love what she's like, no part of me, no matter how hidden, is capable of that, which basically means there is no Candyman and she's the one killing him. Yeah. So he shows up and he says, you are mine now. And then he cuts her straps and then he flies backward out of the window. <laughs> he doesn't fly. I mean, he gets dragged out by ropes. Imagine, <laughs> right, imagine <laughs> hypothetical scenario. You can fly, but you always have to fly ass first like he does. <laughs> Do you take that superpower? Absolutely. Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I mean, you probably could fly forward. You just have to toot a little. <laughs> so she follows him out the window and goes along the side of the building. She does like some and Jason Bourne shit right knocks there. on the other a window in a room next to her. And, and the nurse comes girl, and opens it. You see like an insane patient on a windowsill and you're just like, nah, this sounds like a great idea. Let me Who just go ahead and open this. <laughs> there are two people I don't invite in my fucking house. One anyone on a windowsill to vampires and usually <laughs> vampires are on the windowsill not happening so she knocks out the nurse and steals her scrubs did anybody else get the whole t2 vibe here oh yeah Where she's in the insane asylum she steals the keys and everything yeah that's pretty cool so she makes it home and she finds her apartment being painted pink by God a damn. college student abysmal pink man like fucking everything. Sweetie Pie made a boo-boo. That was so fucking weird, man. I was saying that earlier. Like that whole uh a lot like a lot older dude 
hooking up with some young girl and then like referring to her as like a baby and still having like sexual relations with someone is a that that whole thing is creepy to me. Oh yeah, but it makes him a skis, so it's good because you're rooting for him to die. Yeah, yeah that's true. It fits Absolutely. with his character. So then, as she's leaving, he calls the hospital, and she ends up at a bridge like she's Davy Havoc in the Silver and Cold video, just like looking at the water. And then immediately she's running into Cabrini Greens at nighttime too. Yeah. So she she goes and finds the hole to his lair, which she had seen in like Visions earlier in the movie. So she finds all the paintings on the wall depicting the murder of him back in 1890. Yeah, the lynching him. And then she finds him sleeping on a stone slab. Which is kind of random. It's very much little Nikki. He's like, I'm sleeping. Or am I? Right. And so she had found like a hook. She stabs him in the shoulder or the neck or something. And then he, but he wakes up at the same time and he hypnotizes her. Yeah, my poor wife walks into the movie just for this scene and she was too mesmerized to walk away. She's like, what is going on? And I'm like, dude, I can't catch you up. Like, I just can't. Just buckle in. She watched the rest of the Enjoy movie. Enjoy the ride. So he goes and puts her on a slab and then basic. I don't he know. hooks her in the minge. Talk <laughs> about that. And then she's like, she puts her hand on his titty and then she pulls out the bees and he's like, bee mouth. And then they kiss and she's like, no bees in my mouth. I think it's a metaphor for STDs, if I'm honest. <laughs> and then she comes to and he's gone. He's like, I'm going to take this baby, though. See you later, bitch. And then the graffiti says it was always you, Helen, because Helen is Helen and Helen is the candy man. It was always you, Helen, because <laughs> it was always her. She's Tyler Durden. <laughs> His name was Robert Paulson. So the and then the, all the pictures changed to depict her. And she hears the voice. It was, always her. it was always you. And then she goes to the bonfire to save baby Anthony. Yeah, because she hears the baby crying. And then Jake wakes up and sees she was still carrying the hook. Yeah. And so all he sees is the hook. Like He's like, Candyman's back. Everybody, let's fucking kill Candyman. So everybody's, people are just walking out with gas and torches. The Lost Boys, if you will, trying to get hook. And so as she's crawling through the trash pile to get the, gets the baby, Candyman shows up and like grabs her and covers her mouth, mouth as she's trying to scream. She grabs a piece of burning wood and stabs him with it. And she, as she's crawling out, a burning beam falls on her back. Dude, that shit's gnarly, man. Yeah. She's like crawling around with that fucking flame all up on her back and looks pretty legit. It's awesome. The scene's really great and dynamic. Like, it's very impressive. You're saying how, like, 150, like, 15,000 gallons 15, worth of propane? 15,000 gallons worth of propane were used Ooh. on that particular scene. Jesus. Pretty fucking crazy. Hank Hill's like, oh, oh. <laughs> How's my impersonation? <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> oh. So she- <laughs> God, do I have a rock? I gotta go whack it in the shit. <laughs> <laughs> so she crawls out with ba- the baby, and she's all faces all burned, head is all burned, everything. And uh, you see the Candyman burning, like his corpse I actually burning. And uh, Jake sees it. They make a point of that, and then all these burning bees fly out of it, like little fireworks. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, look at the sparklers. <laughs> and then the next scene is Helen's funeral and only her husband and the cheater girl. The cheater girl. And then two other people are there. And Purcell and Archie. Archie. I like yeah. how they show her in the coffin and you're like, God damn, those people at the funeral home really know how to clean up a corpse <laughs> because she does not look burnt at all. Well, her head's still like one big scab. Her scalp is. Right, yeah. right. But I mean, her entire face in the previous scene was just completely scarred yeah. and burnt. I, I love 
the way this scene ends. Like it is very intense. Like that the chick who plays Anne Marie does a killer job of making you believe like she's feeling something. You know? She's like she is acting emotionless but you can tell there's I mean, that's a, a kind of a complicated thing to play on because she's being stoic but you know that she's like in turmoil underneath it's really good so why don't you tell us what happens all the people from the project show up in a big long line and the kid jake throws a hook into the they definitely should take another take of this right because it lands kind of anticlimactically on the side and just falls under <laughs> it and i was like no do that again I mean, at least a slow-mo fall. Yeah, right? there you go. Yeah. You should fall like the hook needs to get stabbed into it and sit up. I mean, that... Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like he was like walking up to the hole and then tripped and fell. Oh, shit. <laughs> it just like fell out of his hands and fell into the she hole. She stops being stoic. It's like, you idiot. <laughs> so the next scene is Trevor at home on the toilet. Looking shook. And his college girl is in the hallway like calling to him she goes to the fridge he's like trying to make dinner dude i I even said like why are you wasting time with a t-shirt my notes literally say why wear a shirt at all if them nips gonna shine and poke through so much (laughs) hashtag no bra club dude those things are fucking weapons of their own (laughs) i like to see her sword fight with helen helen's like coming at her with a knife and a hook and she's like ping 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 So Trevor's in the bathroom crying about losing Helen and kind of the scenes are like contrasting what the girl is doing in the kitchen to what Helen used to do for him. And then she's like cooking post-concussion syndrome. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to make you dinner. <laughs> and he's like, I should eat that roast beef. <laughs> so he keeps saying, saying Helen and he keeps saying her name in front of the mirror. And I couldn't tell. He if, says it four times. I couldn't he tell. Say four, I think, but he says it one last time. At the he very says it end. four that you see. That's presumed. It's presumed that he said it the fifth time. Okay. So I couldn't tell if it was just. It almost seemed like he was doing it like the the myth. Like he's doing. Like it he's on doing purpose. it on purpose. He's doing it on purpose rather than die. just saying her name out of grief. It's the first time. The first two, I think he's just saying, it. And, then and then he's like, like, then he's like saying it intentionally because he says Helen, oh Helen, Helen, oh Helen, Helen. So, yeah. And then he shuts off the lights, right? Yeah. I think they get shut off, right? Oh, That's part of Helen's superpowers. Click, 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 (laughs) click, click. (laughs) So she appears and then butchers him. And then Stacy finds him and screams while holding a knife. And then the whole thing gets like a fucking big, one big circle. And now Stacy's supposed killer. Mm -hmm. And then you get the mural at the end with her on fire. I'm on fire, and now I think I'm ready to bust a move. Check it out. I'm dead asleep, but then I did a minute. It's a great movie. I think it's a good movie that could have been really, really great. Yep, absolutely. I've, honestly, Again, this it's, is it's so in the same It's in the same vein as Event Horizon, for exactly. sure, for me. But the thing is, it's, it, it's so groundbreaking in so many ways in terms of its subject matter and its presentation that like, I can't be mad at it. Like, Even in its form where it's not perfect, it's still fucking groundbreaking. Yeah, so that's it's true. like, I don't know. This is one where, yeah, it's easily a classic. For my personal preference, I think that Tucker and Dale versus Evil I enjoy more, but this one is amazing. 
And I also love the source material. And it's a great deep dive. I'm really glad we did this episode. I agree with you that I think it's a classic. I don't think it'll be anything that we have even remotely close to what we have in the classic category, which is I feel like everything up until this point. Yeah. yeah every so, episode we've done. Uh, this is for me going to be the bottom of the tier with the classic. I'm right there with you. Classic, but not... Not like that. Like it's not going to beat Cabin of the Woods. It's not going to beat Tucker and Dale. And it's not going to beat. What we do in the shadows. What we do in the shadows. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I would, if I were to do chronologically or not chronologically, I guess if I were to do them in order of what I felt, it would be Candyman, What We Do in the Shadows, Cabin in the Woods, and then Tucker and Dale. Pretty close. So that is just my opinion. Perfect. Well, I will let you know that next week we're going to be doing My Bloody Valentine. Which one, you ask? Both. Pucker your buttholes and get ready because Jim is going to walk you through the original. I'm going to rock you through the remake, My Bloody Valentine 3D's Nuts. And stay tuned on the channel. We're doing a lot of very interesting things. We're going to be discontinuing certain series but starting entirely new ones. And we really hope that you're going to stay with us on the ride. I will remind you, we have the slasher submission form so you can let us know what it is you want. We, we always Patreon. love the feedback. We do. And uh, honestly, if you don't want to leave us a review on iTunes or whatever, f- just send us feedback directly and say, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> but then also let us know what you do want because there are so many movies out there where it's like, I'd love to be obscure. I would love nothing more than to just sit and do movies like Mr. Vampire. But the problem is that I'd like our audience to be able to find it. And I'd like to know that there's some kind of audience for it because I don't want to alienate the audience that we already have. Even if it's not a movie that's going to get us a new audience, I want to make sure I'm not alienating you. So please consider doing that. Please consider checking out our Patreon. Please consider doing the subscribing, the rating, the blah, blah, blah. And please consider masturbating while thinking about Brian's face. (laughs) (laughs) Is it time to say goodbye, fellas? I think so. You ain't watching him dying. You ain't really trying. Beep, beep, fuck boys. And for Jim, for Brian, for Chad, for the bunnies and the people in the bunny costumes apparently furries did a, a citizen's arrest against a pedophile recently that was kind of cool oh that's kind of that's neat. a weird one where you're like oh it's all so- the all the bronies got together and did something huh? yeah something good besides each other <laughs> so good for them anyway uh i'd like to remind you to go out there and do something you love and remember that all work and no power play makes jack a dull boy how about that for an episode guys Nothing says February like the romance of Candyman. There's some love that knows no bounds, no racial bounds, no... I mean, is it necrophilia if he's an evil ghost? That's something fun to talk about. Anyway, this band is Blitzkid. You might have seen their logo around because it's awesome. It's kind of like the Tiger Bat from Tiger Army if you mixed it with Count Orlok slash Nosferatu and then you just doused it in pure, like, you know those pheromones that are supposed to make people want to fuck you? That's what they put on the Blitzkid logo. This is one of their really old songs called Candyman, but, I mean, we're on brand here, so forgive us for not picking something more recent. They've recently reformed, and it's kind of hard to limit where they're going to be playing because they're doing an entire tour, Escape the Grave Tour. It's been a quick minute since the last time they played. Like I said, there's about a thousand million bajillion shows on this tour, so I'm just going to tell you, go hit up Blitzkid Official or check out Argyle Goolsby on Instagram. 
super awesome, very polite and kind and gracious with their time. It's so surreal that a band that I have listened to for a decade, they I, they have no reason to talk back to some dweeb who yells and is just profane and dumb. The only thing helping me here is that they just probably have never heard the show, so they don't know how much of their time they're wasting. But please give them your patronage. They are awesome. Please keep horror music alive. Let's rally behind them. Make sure they know how much we've missed them. And if this is your introduction, make them know how much you like them. Maybe, you know, touch their pee-pee with, with your mouth or your butt. You know, this is no big deal. Don't make it a big deal. Just approach them. Hi, found you on Slasher's Pod. Do a little gaping and this is going too far. I'm sorry. I hope they never hear this.